It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com. Hey guys, uh, today I'm going to talk about something that is really important to me and has really changed my life, and that is Jinkum. There's a new way for your kids to get high. They're using raw sewage. I couldn't imagine doing something like that. Sounds pretty sick to me. Honestly, Mm -hmm. they need to find something better to do with their life. Seriously? Something new, something stimulating, something different. There's a lot of people that say it's a hoax or it's not real or it's just made up or whatever. Now let's just get this out of the way first, you know, so you can laugh it all off or whatever, you know. You won't be laughing once you experience what I have and have your life change. But, um, it's human waste. It's, you know, shit. Uh, welcome to the Jenga podcast, everybody. I'm your host, Josh Denny. You know, a lot of times on the show, we uh, we get people together and we talk about what other random shit uh, is going on in the world or going on in our lives or going on with uh, with you guys at home. But occasionally we get an episode together where we are we get to talk about some good shit, some shit that does good in the world. And uh, I'm kind of excited for this one. I've been looking forward to this for a couple of weeks now. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, my guest this week. Uh, the one and only you may know him from the band Snot, one of the legendary uh, hardcore bands of the late 90s, uh, was a guitar player in Head Planet Earth in the early 2000s, as well as Seven Dust, played for Ugly Kid Joe, uh, many other bands, and is now doing great work with uh, the charity here in Los Angeles, Rock to Recovery, or I should say nonprofit group. I don't know if you consider it a charity, we'll, but we'll get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mr. Sonny Mayo. Hey, man. What's up, dude? What's up, man? There it is. The wait, there it is. Yeah, I tried to give you the. I tried to roll out the red carpet on the intro. Yeah, you like the little. That's that's my logo. I was watching logo. somebody on there. Was somebody who was on one of your reels was like, "Why is there a black cock with poop on it?" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was uh, that was Brandon Strock from Walkaway, who is also who is uh, funny and openly gay conservative. But I was like, of course you would think it was a penis with poop on it, Brandon. That's your world. <laughs> uh, Am I so going to get canceled because I'm on your show? No, no. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I, I think you'll be fine. <laughs> I, I get. I feel like I get. I was telling you this. I feel like I get canceled every week over something silly. Like mm. I had. Uh, it was so strange. So th- there was a, on Instagram the other day. I shared this. Um, you know, I don't know what they call it when they have like a post and it's got like a bunch of slides and it's sort of like it's almost like a PowerPoint on Instagram. And this this gay dude was like, here's why I don't celebrate pride. And he had all these things about like what he doesn't like about pride, that it's exploitative of 
of gay culture and it's it's become corporatized or whatever it had all these other things and it was amazing how many people were i was just i just shared i was like oh this is interesting i've never heard somebody you know speak about it like this and it was amazing how many of my gay friends jumped in the comments and was like, yo, fuck this guy. And I was like, dude, he just has a different opinion about pride than you. I was just it's amazing how people have such a sort of like an a complete intolerance for people thinking differently than them. Yeah, man. And it's so sad because it's people who it's I mean, really, if you want to my humble opinion is it's a it's a cultural trauma response. Dude, we are a dysfunctional family culturally. Yeah, especially I, I think it's a great way I mean, potentially it. human, but especially <laughs> Western countries, whatever that have full-on internet and have like too much access to every single thing that any Joe Schmo or whoever thinks, and they just type something, and then it's like, oh, how dare you? And then they engage. You know, it's like Ricky Gervais says, it's like having access to the the biggest bathroom wall in the world like just where people <laughs> write, just shit on it and he's like i can go write some shit on it too and then walk away or i can read some shit right but yeah. it's oh my god it's so yeah this and, and so yeah man so again like thanks for having me on first of all and yeah for sure especially wanting to plug rock to recovery which is my nonprofit organization that i work with and um and so thankfully i get to in some way try to contribute to the kindness and the love and the actual connection that really is important. It's the thing for all of us, man, that well, makes the, everything, uh, you know, that makes everything tangibly real between people. Well, the one thing that I, I'll ask you this question too, because I think you have some perspective on it being in, in music for so long. I, we had a conversation on the show with my buddy, Chris Rab like a year or two ago. And I said, you know, I actually think one of the reasons that, you know, you said we have this sort of real cultural crisis, uh, we're a dysfunctional family here in the West. And I said, one of the things I think contributes to that is like, there really is not the same sort of like counterculture rock and roll that there was mm. every other decade. Right. So if you think about it, like, you know, when, when you were playing in the nineties, the two thousands, even the 2010s, like there was rock was kind of always counterculture, right? You had punk rock and metal and hardcore, and it was at least sort of a subculture where people were like, Oh, well, if I don't like pop music, there's this other thing for me. And I feel like this is really the first decade where, like, if you want to enjoy something that's not pop or mainstream, it's really underground. You know what I mean? And it's almost like without having that other slice of culture, I think that also contributes to how dug in people get into the idea of like, no, no, there's only one right way. So it's like there's only one right way to be a band. There's only one right way to be a musician. And you came up in a time where you were always like, no, no, we're going to do it differently and always sort of more on the cutting edge of of music and and the way it was sort of shifting in that 90s to 2000s period. I mean, what do you think about that? Do you feel like the lack of rock and roll in mainstream culture has an effect on the culture? I first of all, I like I like this this is a great yeah, point in the conversation and the the thing being like if you like what if there is a counterculture, then you are absolutely judged and condemned rather than just being like 
they like Satan or something like that. Let's say <laughs> they're evil. They go back and and I mean they literally hang you in the square like a a witch or they burn you at the stake now. Yeah. And the sad thing is, it's like the people again. The people I, and I say this with compassion in my heart, man. I'm trying not to condemn anybody myself because it's actually terribly tragic what we're doing to one another. We as humans, especially in our, I'll just say Western United States is the people who have been have felt and have been uh, sort of subjugated or, or 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 whatever they are turning into the monster that they uh, have hated J- dave chappelle yeah. said it o- over the when david was doing those um those like uh, uh videos from home and he did uh 8 minutes 46 seconds and then he did that one where he sh- he talked about the um he was he was asking to um to boy him he was asking people to boycott him because he he still didn't he didn't have the rights to Chappelle show and he um saw that it was on Netflix and he called up that you don't you know what I'm talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah and he, and he was like they, they they didn't basically they they didn't give him a piece of that streaming deal zero yeah that yeah, means nothing. he was getting nothing so he went to the head of netflix and said hey can you take this down it makes me feel bad and he's not supposed to do that right and they're, they're, yeah they're this and so he was he was like and and they said yes and so he went on record like calling out viacom and all these everything comedy central and all cbs paramount all the things and he was like it's the same monster that those me too bitches were talking about <laughs> i don't like the way it fucks and i don't like the way it eats oh yeah it was such a great line Woo-hoo! wasn't it yeah. And so, oh yeah, and he was talking about the grift. He was talking about being grifted, like the three card Monty, and he tied it in, and how everybody was in on it. Like that's how you get fooled and sucked into thinking you could win it. Yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, and they're all in on it. And he told a story about when he was nineteen, and then he then he talks fast forward to when he's at Comedy Central, and all and his lawyer, his lawyer and manager are there, and their lawyers and there are there, and everyone in the room is going, yeah, Dave, I've been in that room, Josh. It was with um me Snot. too with with the Food Network, but yeah, but, yeah, but right, please, yeah, right. So I was there with Snot, and it was our lawyer was like. Yeah, we've done a bunch of deals together. And I'm like, I mean, I was so naive. I just wanted to get in the van and jam. Me and Mikey Doling from the other guitarists. It's not, we were just like, yeah, we just want to jam. We didn't, we sold ourselves short, man. And so we were told, yeah, 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 this is a great deal. Um, And then look back and it's like in perpetuity throughout the known universe. Yeah. Or like yeah, any not, other planet that's only, ever discovered, you might if you if if another parallel dimension is discovered, we still own your ass in that parallel dimension. Yeah. So um so Chappelle and, and at the time and at the time, you know, being a young guy, like I, I don't know, where you got you got you're probably in your twenties at that time. Yeah, twenty five. Yeah, you, you don't have the vision at that time unless you're like this is what I always say is a, a, a problem in my career is that I don't have that sense of delusional entitlement of like no, everything I do is going to be great throughout the annals of history. But like you as young guys probably had no idea that that snot album was going to go on to be one of the most influential records for the next 20 years. And and that there would be so much revenue tied to it and so much, you know, um, opportunity. Yeah, man. And our managers didn't either. We had guys who were, you know, that like our manager, Nick Adler, wonderful human, great human dad, Lou Adler produced mamas and the papas. And oh yeah. That, yeah. Right. And he just didn't have like the wherewithal, like there's a bunch of stuff, a bunch of revenue we never got because we never registered stuff. And, but so it's this, that business, right? Um, so back to the point of like the monster, the monster that everyone's like, 
now going yeah. we hate it they're becoming they're doing what that monster did and it's and again this is why i say it's a trauma response it's a societal trauma response and it's really sad man you know yeah i i i couldn't agree more i think you know there is so many of those situations where people are like they, they sort of become the monster that they set out to slay and you know, you see it a lot in 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 modern stuff where they're like, oh, we want to give even like you look at streaming sites like, oh, like Tidal and Spotify, like we want to give all the money. We want the artists to own their music and get their money back. And then like, but we take a pimp's percentage of that as well. And it's like, yeah, yeah we want you to own it, but still only 60 percent. And it's just like it's almost like it's like leaving one pimp for the other pimp. Like mm -hmm. he only hits me two times a week. You right. know? And so <laughs> it's like it's it really. And, and I think all of us who are artistic or creative or, or, you know, have that in our blood, it's like we really just want to be able to like cleanly, simply make money off of doing the things that we love. And beyond that, I think most artists I talk to, like they don't have this ultimate capitalistic view of becoming uber rich. They're like, I would just love to live comfortably, but have total freedom in doing my thing. Yeah, there are the anomalies like Gene Simmons is like yeah. every single anything that even resembles any image of Kiss, he's going to find it and take his money get from it. And you know who else, too, is uh, uh, Brett Michaels, actually, from day one. That dude was on top of it. I just saw uh, like something recently where it just came across Instagram reels or whatever. And he like he was on his game. He just was. He was wise to it, and yeah, and, and, and just every every rose has its thorn. Every penny is going into his account, right? And so, um, to go to kind of bring it to reel it back into like where where I've moved into the mental health uh, service industry, if you will, I get to use music now as a means of transformation, a catalyst for transformation and recovery with rock to recovery. Um, you know, doing our work that we do with drug and alcohol treatment centers, mental health facilities. We work with the, directly with the air force wounded warriors. Yeah. Veterans. I, uh, that was yeah. that. Yeah. I was really cool because I, you know, I've known you and Wes sort of for like since early two thousands, I, I knew Wes more at, in a time um, way back when, but you know, to watch your guys journey, you know, through sobriety and then creating rock to recovery as a way to help people um, use music to kind of give them that that hope and that that sense of life uh, outside of addiction. But it's been so cool to see it grow beyond that to mm. helping veterans and, and people that, you know, are dealing with mental health issues. And and it really is like you hear people talk about, oh, well, music and laughter, are the best medicines. But I feel like we finally now with like organizations like Rock to Recovery have clinics. You know what I mean? Where that men that medicine can be administered and, and mm. taught. And, and it, it just seems like such an awesome thing. Yeah, we literally say music is the medicine. Yeah. And so um, thanks for, for pointing that out. And you're right. It's we, we had it's like it took what it took, the time that it took. Um, and there's there's um, evidence now. There's actually evidence based research that's that's been shown how it affects people, what it does. And then and then the long term, like, at, you know, as they go forward, continuing to use creativity, uh, finding that spark of confidence by actually writing an original song, writing lyrics about your loss 
of your life with um, drugs and alcohol or, or like watching a friend OD or um, like I work with the vet with veterans, man. I was just in Colorado Springs with uh, one of my colleagues, Clinton, and, you know, working with people who just wanted a job and, and an education and couldn't afford it. So join the air force and yeah. then they lost, then they lost their legs. Right. Or they went to, I got a friend who's a former Marine, um, uh, purple heart, which means he was injured in combat, right. In combat. Mm-hmm. And so, and, um, and this guy was like, you know, he just, and he, he wanted to, he wanted an education for his, and like, he went through this thing where he went to Fallujah and he was like in the midst of it, dude, he was clearing rooms. I mean, this yeah. guy's like a superhero, man. He's like six and a half feet tall. And, and he's just a specimen of a human. And, uh, while he was away, his daughter, five years old died. Oh, and so he, and he couldn't go home. He like, he couldn't like, all, you know, and so it's trauma and all this. And so we get to write music with these people and, and, and then be told, I mean, I get to be told later how I inspired it. And it's like, it's, I, I hold a space and I offer, it's like, if you build it, they will come. If you provide yeah. instruments and I have the experience of, of, you know, being in recovery and being a musician and all that stuff and a songwriter producer, blah, blah, blah. And then there's the intangibles, man, where we actually create something together and I'm helping that. It's not like I'm going to play music for people or we go in and, Hey, pl- let's all sing Kumbaya together. No, we're going right. to write our own version of fucking Kumbaya or whatever we write. And man, we, there's some heavy, beautiful stuff. We write sometimes super fun. Like we wrote a, uh, I did a session this morning at a treatment center, wrote a pop punk song, you know, that, uh, that was just literally, yeah. And then the chorus was F F F C C C G G G right yeah <laughs> and the, and the, everyone was just so stoked and like these people were coming off fentanyl and were you know uh, had been Narcan twice you know in the last year and a half and they're like I really want to try this time and I'm all cool let's write a fucking song about it yeah, yeah well man. I mean you know and it's it's like one of the things that it's just kind of weird like. You know, not to make it about, you know, spirit or religion or anything like that. But it's like, it's so strange. I I was telling you about the story about my mom and everything. And I go like, isn't it wild that like uh, I I met these guys, you know, 20 years ago and, uh, you know, in music and just like, uh, you know, I was a young guy in bands who was going to see my favorite bands. And I had met the guys from Head P because a girl I hung out with hung out with them and met them at another show. And then I was like, isn't it wild that like 20 years later, uh, we're all living in the same city and my mom is now working in recovery and, and has this like thing of like, I really want to change the way that people stay sober after they get out of treatment. And it involves a real full 360 immersive plan for your life. Mm-hmm. And, and so much of it is about like people having that thing that makes them feel loved and inspired and have hope. And, and then, you know, it's like, you see what you guys are doing at the same time. And it's this weird sort of serendipitous thing of like, it does feel like we are all a big family kind of moving in the same direction. And, mm-hmm. and, um, it, and it just really makes me happy to see that um, there is a lot more attention being paid to like, okay, well we can send people to treatment and give them medication and help them kick their initial addiction. But like, how do we give them hope because rebuilding your life after that point is the hardest part. Yeah, man. And that rebuilding the thing that you're talking about or giving people hope um, on the physiological level, on a scientific level, playing music. So for those who don't know, 
and if I haven't been clear about it, what I do or what we do as group facilitators with Rocked Recovery is we go into these treatment centers. Really, we just grow into these groups, whatever group it is, if it's mental health or substance use disorder or or uh, I've worked with kids in diff- different realms. Uh, we uh, work with Air Force Wounded Warriors. We go into a group and whoever's there, we start a band and we write a song. No musical experience is required. It's not for musicians. It's for people. Yeah. That are whatever people, anybody. We could do corporate gigs, whatever. It's it's for people. It has a specific uh, way of affecting uh, people, especially in treatment or in uh, PTSD or in some type of recovery in that when you learn. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Whether it's literally four chords on a piano, two fingers, ding, mm, 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 and you keep doing that, and we, I write it on the keys, and I have a drum machine, a drummer that lives in my keyboard that plays whatever <laughs> I want him to play. Yeah, where were those when I was a 17-year-old dude who couldn't find drummers, right? Yeah, I mean, they, yeah. they existed, but we, you know, there was like this thing of like, no, we need you need a real drummer. You can't just use a drum machine. Yeah. Well, now we, d- we don't bring drum kits, kits in there because it just would be a cacophony of noise so we have you know the the drummer keeps us in time but we literally teach people we write us something with with people and maybe somebody actually is a guitarist or was a singer or used to play piano and they stop because they've had a needle in their arm for eight years and can't stop slamming dope yeah so we give them this opportunity but when we play music and sing together especially something happens physiologically the brain engages both sides literally fireworks right and when we listen to music it engages one side of the brain dopamine's released beautiful things like serotonin feel really good and when we play music oxytocin kicks in now oxytocin as you may know some people may know it's what's called the love molecule the cuddle chemical the hug drug and we play music oxytocin is released that's why like you experience it being in bands and you can see it when you when you jam with people and you just get in that place where you're almost like it feels unconscious, but it's like more conscious, like super conscious in the moment, man. Right. And well, so it's, that way, it's even that way with comedy. Like one of the yeah. things, one of the things like I, I occasionally get like young comedians or starting comedians who ask me, uh, like, what tips do you have? And it's always like, do you know, it's simple stuff, like do it as much as you can. But one of the things that I think I learned playing music that a lot of comedians don't do is I never look down or away from the audience. Mm. And part of that is like, dude, all of it, all of the, all of the love of doing comedy. Like if you look down and you're not looking at those people and connecting with those people, um, you're, you're missing 90% of what's amazing about it because there is like this psychic link. And I've tried to explain this to people who don't write this way, but like a lot of times when I have a bit, I just take a premise on stage 
And, and it's really that energy that I get from the audience of watching how they interact with my words and everything that fuels what comes back to me. And in a way, like that's where the best magic happens. And if I, if it's like a one way presentation where I'm just, you know, doing material and they're just listening, we're really, neither of us are getting the full thing out of it. And that was one of the things I always thought was cool about you as a player live was that you were always interacting with the audience, whether it be like, you know, making goofy faces or pointing at people specifically or whatever. But there's a, there is a thing where you can see that there are musicians who are playing for themselves and musicians who are playing to really make that connection with people. And, and so it's cool that, you know, that is such a big that there is actually like science to it, um, you know, and and a chemical thing that that connects people with things like music or comedy or whatever. Yeah. And it really it actually like playing music actually forms new neural pathways, literally forges new pathways for the brain. Um, I love that you pointed that out, too, because that's I, I've always been like that, man. It's like I especially after I got sober, dude, I, I took a I would take a, a, a time every night, no matter what band I was on in. Or, or what stage I was on where I would almost step not quite off stage, but I would step to the side a little bit and take in my band members and just watch them and just like, and then look down. And uh, Bruce Lee had this thing that we said, uh, you know, when once, once I, once I know it, or once it's in me, um, I don't, you know, I don't throw the punch or like, it's not me playing the guitar. It's playing itself, if you will. Yeah. So I would watch myself play as like from this, observational point and then i would look in the crowd and i would just like look around at people and they'd see me and they'd be like they kind of be like whoa this but also i pulled funny faces all the cool you know but yeah all the, but i would take this time to just and i wasn't like staring at them yeah. necessarily, like, kind of a, a drama type <laughs> like creepy you know? yeah like yeah. whoa dude yeah but I'd look at them and i'd be like and take a time and they'd just be like wow dude this guy's really fucking right here man into it yeah, yeah, present. yeah. present is the right word yeah, yeah dude just really present. And that was one of the things like, you know, the just the limited interactions I had with the, with the band back then. And uh, like I, I joked with you when we were setting this up, I was like, I said, like, we bumped into each other many times over the past like 20 years. And you always would be like, don't I know you from somewhere? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, like you were walking your dogs one time at Promenade and you were just like, where do I know you from? I was, like, <laughs> I was like, it's a long story and I'm at work right now. This is back when I was working for Crocs. But uh, but yeah, but it's one of those things of like I was not in the croc store. I was not in the croc. No, no, he wasn't. Let's make sure we clarify. Sunny Mayo was not anywhere near the croc store. We were at the other end of the promenade. No, we were interviewing people. And uh, but you're a dude. that's like it's if you know you, it's impossible not to spot you places. You know what I mean? Like you're just like, oh, there's Sunny. And um, and, you know, it's like it's like you, uh, Chuck Liddell. Like there's like a handful of guys around LA that you Man, like if, if you see them from a distance you're like I know that I know that walk and that and that <laughs> head you know what I mean I'm one of those guys too like I stick out like a I, yeah. like a swollen sore thumb so <laughs> Man this thing's sore and swollen yeah. look at it <laughs> That's me throw a ball cap on it it's got a red beard <laughs> thing's got a weird beard Yeah man yeah, so uh so Speaking of where I'll be, I'll be at the Fondo on July 9th. For yeah, I have, I have it show. pulled up here. I was going to pull yeah. this up. I definitely want people to see this. Let yeah, me. so every year we, especially, well, I mean, uh, sorry, with the exception of the COVID years, we yeah, have we a live event. Um, and that is my friend Shavo Odajian, who, funny enough, this dude is a huge supporter of Rock to Recovery, and he owns 
a weed dispensary and like a like a weed company called Red Twenty Two. Oh, okay. And he supports fucking rock to recovery. He actually had some issues, and I think it was pretty public uh, with uh, pills, I think, of some sort. And so, and he recovered from it, and you know, and he uses uh, weed medicinally, <laughs> and he takes his medicine every single day. But uh, but uh, he's a huge supporter of rock to recovery. Like we have so much love from the community of musicians that we've all known. And, and now this year we're actually honoring a comedian, Jay Moore. Oh, cool. Yeah. And we're honoring another guy who's been in multiple, multiple comedies, uh, actor Keith David. You, you oh know, yeah. I know Keith. Yeah. He was in, I mean, he was in some funny shit, man. So there, uh, uh, there's something about Mary. He was the, the, yeah. uh, the stepdad. Um, and he was in, um, what's that show? Uh, Greenleaf on, um, on Netflix. He's the pastor. Oh, I haven't watched that. that. I haven't seen that. But he's also the kid. I mean, for me, being a guy who, you know, grew up in the, in the, I mean, I was born in the seventies. So, um, he was in platoon and, and they live and, and, um, and, uh, Oh yeah. They live was probably, is probably the thing I know him from the most because like, you know, in the, I'm an eighties kid, but it, you know, it was a very, uh, Roddy Piper in a movie. It was like mind blowing. Like he's, he's acting. The longest fight scene in the history of fight scenes. They, they, yeah, they fight in the alley and it's just like 10 minutes of them just beating the shit out of each other. So yeah, yeah every year we do this, this, uh, this show and we have uh, live music. Um, the rock recovery guys, including myself and Wes and a few of the other guys uh, do cover songs. Um, uh, Keith is also a jazz singer, so he's going to perform oh, I, I, that. I had no idea about bro. Nat King Cole, like disciple. Like, yeah, you know, like literally fell from the Nat King Cole tree. But we've had um, people like Katie Seagal from Sons of Anarchy and Married with Children. And she did a set uh, with she has a, she's a killer blues singer. Did you know that about her? I had no idea. Dude, I, I knew she was into music because I think I saw some, like an interview when Sons was on and it was in its heyday where she talked about playing music. But I didn't know what. She's a great singer, man. It was like Fleetwood Mac, uh, but bluesier when she performed. And we had John Feldman from Goldfinger. And we've had uh, we had Tommy Vex to Bad Wolves. We have Moby. We had um, Corey. Uh, Ta- you guys honored Corey, Corey Taylor, Taylor at the last one, right? Corey was actually like the second one, dude. Oh, that was. Oh, OK. Yeah, that was. I mean, it was 2017. and We haven't done it for two years. So, yeah, we're, we're on. This is the fifth one. Um, but we had Corey Taylor and Wayne Kramer. Wayne Kramer was from MC five, which was uh kick out the jams. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have Mike Ness too. Um, yeah. So yeah, man, we've had some rad people and, and, uh, and so, yeah, it's, it's open to anybody and everybody. And like we, you and I were talking about, um, like with, uh, you know, um, I mean, uh, you know, kind of an over, overly used word ally, but like mm-hmm. people who support not just addiction and alcoholism, but PTSD and, and um, people who aren't alcoholics who are supportive of these things, man, because everybody, I mean, everybody these days is, has some kind of contact with someone who's struggling, be it with mental health or with substance use disorders. Yeah. And I'm, I'm very much like uh, I, I've always ha- had, and, and yeah, you know, I shared this story with you a little bit with, but with like my older brother, um, you know, we, one of the few things we bonded on when, when I was a teenager and he had come home, he was six years older than me and he came home and lived with us for a while when I was in Minnesota and I had just started playing in like punk bands and stuff. And he had played around with guitar 
for a long time. <clears throat> and what always pissed me off was he was like instantaneously more prolific at it than I was. Like I really had, I was doing like, I would literally sit and play master of puppets for like hours to just like get my dexterity up and everything and like become a good player. And I ended up becoming one of the better players in my high school, but I had to really, really work at it. And my older brother would just, he just like picked up a Jackson guitar, mm. probably in a pot deal and just started playing and was like instantaneously at my level or better. And, <laughs> but same thing, like got really into the blue collar grind of his life and struggled with alcoholism the entire, you know, his whole way got into a lot of different motorcycle accidents. He was a real gearhead, and that was his passion. But I just sit and think like, man, if there was something like this for him, when he got out of treatment that he could go to as a guy, like you mentioned, who like, dabbled in music and really had like a natural gift for it you know if there was a place for that to be nurtured and if there was a place for him to really kind of get to explore that side of himself in a way that he never did before who knows he might still be here today so mm -hmm. i you know uh, people always ask me like oh you know you're like this this sort of like foul-mouthed edgy comedian you just don't care about people and it's like no i care about people but it has to be purposeful for me to want to get behind something. And I really see that with like rock to recovery of like, the, no, it's a real tangible um, thing. Like, you know, there's a lot of people, everyone has a nonprofit in LA and everyone mm -hmm. has a thing in Hollywood that they get behind and you get into these things and you find out like, Oh, the person who runs it has like six mansions. And you know, it's, I won't name names of organizations, but we can probably yeah. throw a couple out. Right. And so when you see that it's like a, a thing that people really get behind, there's real tangible results from it. Like the, t I, I encourage people to go to the website um, and look at some of the testimonial videos of people with that you've worked with. And you see that it's like, it's not just bullshit and it's not just something fun. I mean, I'm sure it's fun for you guys as touring musicians who are now in this chapter of life to be able to like participate in this with people, but it, it really works. It's, it's a real thing that has real life effect on people's lives. And so, as I told you, like, these are the kind of things that I get excited about. And that, and, and also like, you know, I, it, as a guy who his music days have long left him behind the idea that you can inject that into new people and it can have such a positive uh, it can be such a, a part of a positive shift in people's lives who maybe feel like, well, now that I'm sober and I don't have my drug friends and I don't have my drug community, I don't have this stuff like what the fuck do I do? Like, where mm -hmm. do I go? Who do I socialize with? And so I think things like this are so much more important to long term uh, sobriety, mental health, uh, dealing with PTSD than all of the sort of treatments that people you know, the medical and prescription and, and, and those type of things that, that people really lean into, uh, that's not a plan for your life. Yeah. And like you said, the word service, we actually provide a service. Yeah. Yeah. And so I, you I mean, um, you know, not to talk ill of other nonprofits, but some of the veterans I work with have been like, they've talked about a certain other, the one called project at the end of it. And they're like, yeah, thanks for the hat, guys. Appreciate it. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, and and I've had, listen, you know, like uh, be, be, being a free speech guy and talking about different political issues, I'll have a lot of these situations where, like, if I latch on to an opinion that a, politi a 
specific political party is really trying to push or really get behind they'll reach out to me and they'll be like come be a part like come do this thing with us and come be a part of this speech in this organization and then you look in and you go oh well we agree on this one thing but these other nine things i am not about like yeah you know what i mean like yeah i think humans should have a right to life but I, I don't believe in gay conversion therapy. So it's right. like, let's, I was like, I can't jump on that side with you as well. Well, and, and that's so, what's sad too, is like, is, you know, if you agree with one thing and then people see that people that don't agree with that one thing, see that you do, then you're, then you agree with everything that that those people agree. And it's yeah. like, no, man, I'm not all the way this way or all the way that way. I think you're all insane on the fringes. Yeah. You're mad. Yeah, it I'm gets, in the you know, not yeah, even in the middle. I mean, it's yeah, yeah, it's so gnarly, man. It's so uh, again back to the, it's just such a trauma response. I, I I saw that you. I was looking back over our conversation in in uh, the Instagram Messenger, and there's a woman called Africa Brooke, who's like one of my fucking heroes, and she, you know, she was part of the like initial woke movement which you know in 2014 2015 it was a thing that i actually took as a compliment like i yeah. i was uh you know i was in i was i work in in uh adolescent places mental health and substance use and co-occurring disorders dual diagnosis right substance use and mental health yeah together. people um, who have anxiety and depression and likely you turn to substances to to, to self-medicate and yeah that's yeah. what i did that's and then i couldn't stop doing the things um until i did uh and so um at one point uh one of the kids back to 14 or 15 i said something like i said i said yeah i get it like i understood something they were talking about and they were and i heard one of them go sonny's woke and this is like a 14 year old kid <laughs> and i was like like I have to base my actually the like the like the like the uh, value of my existence on whether a fourteen year old thinks I'm cool or not. It's like well, I, you know what I think is funny is like I remember back in '03 when you first joined Head and I and I met, I met you first <clears throat> when you guys were touring with Breaking Benjamin and uh, and I knew the Breaking Benjamin guys because they're from Philly and um, but. It was like you guys breaking Benjamin and saliva. And I remember that people would be like, yeah, his Sonny's a hippie because he meditates. And I was just like that. Now everybody meditates. I was just like, <laughs> you were like in their mind, you were like the most hippie guy in the world because you would like take a minute and chill out, you know, before shows or whatever. And now it's like every now if you go to a show, almost everybody probably meditates. You know what I mean? It's <laughs> so funny, dude. I, but I remember they're like, yeah, Sonny. Yeah, Sonny. He's like, he's a real hippie, man. And it was like, why? And he's like, oh, he meditates. And I was like, okay. All right. Yeah. That's so great that you mentioned that, man. Thanks for bringing that up. That's so yeah. rad. Because look, bro, you mentioned that's a time when I I literally had like a year-ish sober. And yeah. that shit is what saved my life on tour. One of the things. That was one of the aspects, one of the actions that I took and still take on in my life every day. And so, bro, yeah. check it out. So I, I, when I joined Head PE, I had around 10 months sober. I had left. There was one band you didn't mention that I was in called Amen. Um, oh we yeah! On, oh God! How did I forget? Amen. I don't know. It's 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 the one that kind of gets you know kind of because we were super pissed and just like I mean I got a pentagram over the United yeah. States on my own. You know we were so pissed off and some people were like it's the one they like the least. We were so fucking hardcore. Yeah. Um, and so and so usually people and so it's not surprising. But I left that band 
after I got sober, like I hit bottom and got sober in while I was in that band. And then a couple, three months later, after I toured Australia and I was like in New Zealand with Amen, and I was like, oh my God, I'm free. Like I felt this freedom of the obsession of, of drugs and alcohol. I was free, but I had to do the work. That's a grace period that I refer to. Like when people hit a bottom or people are like smacked, you call it a, a moment of clarity, whatever, it's temporary. It's not sustainable unless we do something about it. If we be the real one, if we be a real alcoholic slash addict, yeah, we have to do work, man. We have to, or or we're gonna drink again. It's just how it is with people like me. Maybe not everyone, but yeah. people like me. So when I, uh, so I, I realized that that band was not conducive to my serenity. <laughs> uh, what, being amen, in that, amen or 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 hey. Amen. Sorry, yeah, being yeah, yeah. Amen was not conducive to my serenity. So I. I left the band. I fulfilled my obligations and I left the band and I went back to work as a vet tech, literally just like, you know, cleaning cages and, and helping doctors with animals. That's what I did whenever I had to fall back on something, you know, yeah. you know it's like, you know what that shit's like? Oh so, yeah, man. I'm, I still do it. I still, yeah. like, I'm still like, uh, you know, if somebody's like lucky land casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky, lucky in line at the deli, I guess. Aha. In my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, yeah, the one that comes up a lot is production. If somebody's like, we need a boom operator, you know, for the day. And they're like, it pays three fifty. I'll be like, yo, I'll go hold a microphone for three fifty, dude. Like, yeah. It's <laughs> like, what is it? A porno? No problem. Like, yep, you know, okay. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, you know, it's a grind. I'm listening. Yeah. I got buddies that are in bands that are have, have record deals and they're like, they deliver them pizzas on the weekend. I had a like, record deal and I, and it, I was, I was a major label album and I record yeah. deal and I was working in an animal hospital. So, uh, so when finally 10 months into my sobriety, I got the call from head PE and I joined the band because uh, Chad left Chad, yeah. the other hippie who left. Um, yeah. Which so- I thought was weird because you replaced Chad in the band and I go, no, Chad was a hippie. Like I had met, I had met Chad and Jared like in 2000. And, and then what was so weird is I don't know if I told you this story, but I moved to long beach in 2009. It was when I first came to LA and I had to go to the DMV to get my LA thing. And Chad was just sitting in the in the thing, like at the DMV. And I was like, I was I and I almost didn't recognize it because you know it was like nine years after I had met. He him was and, working, or he was just there. No, 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 no. He wasn't working at the <laughs> DMV. <laughs> Jeez, no, he was probably there to get a license or something. Okay. <laughs> but his, you know, his hair was short and it was brown. And and I, when I met him, he had long blonde hair. And I, I remember being like, he kept looking at me like, where do I know you from? And I was like. I was like, is your name Chad? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, Chad Benicos? He's like, yeah. I was like, oh, my God, dude. Like, it made it was the first time in my life I felt like an old man. You know what I mean? Like, spotting. And it was also like he was just sitting very, like, you know, I'm just waiting my turn. And, oh. and you know, but, like, wearing, like, just a T-shirt and, like, cargo shorts or jeans or something and, like, short hair. Nothing like I remembered him, you yeah. know, like, wearing the mental patient dress and the, yeah. oh, and with the oxygen the hospital gown. Oh, yeah, yeah, dude. Like, you know, he was super punk rock back in the day. Yeah. So, and then he went full on like like I'm wearing now mala beads and shit and all yeah. hippie, which is great. But but when I so when I joined that band, dude, I you know, it was those they were notorious for partying. And so was I. I mean, I was, too. Yeah. With them <laughs> before I was in the band. 
And uh, and so when I joined the band, I was like, I went to Jared when we were going on tour, and I said, "Hey, bro, if for people who don't know, generally speaking, the singer will take the back lounge of the tour bus as their bedroom." Which right. for me, I'm pretty low maintenance when it comes to that, man. I'm like, yeah, I just make want to make sure I got coffee and water and like somewhere to like chill. And so, but I, what I did need from him was some privacy. So I went to him and I said, "Bro." So check it out, man. So each day, part of my recovery is that I sit and I get quiet for a little while. I, I read some books. I read some like meditation books and then I meditate for, for like 10 to 20 minutes. I was like, you think that, you know, depending on where we are, if I can't find a place to to be on my own, you think I can use the back lounge? And he goes, bro, whatever you need, man. He goes, just each day, just like, let me know. And just give me like 30 minutes to get ready and get, get the hell out to go decide what I'm going to do. And then I'll yeah. go. And so he was so gracious with me, man. He didn't have to do it, he, you know, and he was like, yeah, bro. And so each day I would go back there with my little stack of meditation books and I'd have like a couple AA meditation books. And then like a there was one called 365 Dow. And then contrary action is something that we talk about in in, in 12 step programs. And that my contrary action was reading a, a meditation book by a guy called Emmett Fox, which was based in. Um, in Christianity, really Christian science, but not like, like not, well, he's a, he was a scientist who was a Christian, but, but it was very, very, uh, uh, formulaic and very like ap applicable. Right. But I was reading that shit. Cause I didn't, cause I wasn't down with any of that. So I was yeah. reading. And so I'd go in the back and it'd well, be, that's, the, that, that's yeah. the other thing where there's a real gap for some people. And my mm -hmm. mom struggled with this for a long time in the, in the sobriety and 12 step processes. If you're not really, uh, you know, a theistic person where you are, you know, uh, sort of aligned with one particular religion, it can be kind of dicey to oh. like find that sense of higher power and purpose. If you're not Christian or if you're not Buddhist, it's, it's the, it's the second most dicey thing to not picking up a drink or a drug. It's yeah. the next thing where it's like, mm, fuck that. Right. And so there, so I'd be in the back lounge with the, the bong is right there. And then there's like cigarette butts. And I'm assuming bottles of Jägermeister for sure mm -hmm. <laughs> on ice and not uh, in room temperature. Actually, now that I think about it, was that a Jägermeister tour? That yes. one with you and saliva. I, I just remembered that I go. That was the Jägermeister tour. Yep. Jägermeister presents. Yeah, and it was. It was by the way, Ronnie. by the way, fucking still to this day, one of the best shows I've ever been to. OK, and I was shocked. I remember being shocked at how good saliva was because we always joked like, oh, these guys are fucking radio rock, right? Like we sort of like disregarded them like Nickelback at the time. But then I saw them live and I go like, holy shit, dude, these guys are good players. That's a good and it's a it's a really good live band. I mean, and they yeah. were dirty, dirty, man. They were from Tennessee, Nashville, I think Nashville. Or yeah, yeah. And they were they were some fucking dirty boys, man. Those were some <laughs> dirty rock and rollers, you know? Yeah, I mean? they're all oh, straight rock and roll. Yeah, like dirty rock. Yeah, like, bleh, like <laughs> I mean. It was fun. Well, I mean, one of the guys, one of the guitar players, Paul, I, mm, I was the drummer. One of the guitar players, super cool guy. But it's literally said dirty south. And I mean, it was real, man. They were yeah. dirty. Too. Real, like real rebel rock guys. Yeah, man. Yeah. Like they weren't posers and no, you know, and like, you know, no. boys or whatever. They were fucking like, yeah, they were, they were, they were and, and they were super cool. Go figure. Yeah. Oh, yeah, what, that, you, what you said, man, I want to say what you said. Thank you for the compliments. Wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And what you said about the whole thing about like uh, being if you're not theistic already. Um, I mean, there's a chapter in the book called We Agnostics in the big book that's like, yo, just so you know, us too. Right. Yeah. Um, and so it addresses that specifically because the main goal, if you will, of the 12 step process 
is to have what's referred to as a spiritual awakening, which is a shift in consciousness. It's literally, they also refer to it as a psychic change if you just want to be a little less you know, uh, hippy-dippy about it. It's literally, it's a, a change in thinking to where the response to, I got a parking ticket or I got a promotion or it's Friday or whatever. The, the response to that isn't, I need to get fucked up. I need to smoke crystal meth. I need to slam heroin. I need to eat some Oxycontin. I need to, you know, snort fentanyl. Like it's, it changes the way we think. So I'm freed today because I do the work. I'm free of that, man. But when I came in, I had just been in a band called Amen. Again, I have a pentagram on my arm. Yeah. I had, we had a, we had a promo shirt that was a mock turtleneck that had a, literally a priest collar sewed into it. And it said, fuck your prayers. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, dude. Tell me, we were, and I grew up in the. Like, also, I just said like such a mom woman. Oh wow! <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. oh dear. Yeah, dude. Dude, on that note, sometimes but see, I, I love like, stuff like that because, like, you know, and, and still to this day as a comedian, there is this element of like, nah, man, art is supposed to be punk rock and yeah. defiant. You're supposed to go, oh shit, man. Yeah. Ooh, God damn. Yeah. And then be like, okay, right? But I mean. You know, it didn't hurt. It actually didn't hurt anybody. It really didn't hurt anyone. It was like a stoop. It was really just a, we were trying to go fuck. You know, we were trying yeah. to do that. Yeah. And we then I, we didn't go out and hurt. We, I didn't go hit anybody in the head that was actually wearing a priest collar. I, we yeah. didn't do that shit. You yeah, know, it was really like, more being defiant of a of an idea. You were fighting an ideology, exactly. or at least what you perceived it as. And and I like I I'm so far with like the free speech thing, particularly with art, where I go so far the other way when I go. Like from from sort of like modern wokeism in art where people go, well, you know, like art doesn't have to be uh, offensive. And I go, I think it has a responsibility to be offensive. <laughs> I think art has a responsibility. Like if you think about it, every great piece of art throughout time has been offensive in its time. Like when Michelangelo was was sculpted or Michelangelo did David, it was like that was obscene and offensive in its time. Right. And so if you think back to everything and I, I always think back to like I remember D. Schneider, like in, in Congress, like fighting the parental advisory labels and, mm, you know, and just yeah, man. And just like trying to trying to fight for the fact that like, yeah, we should be able to go on stage and be offensive and be wild. And, you know, and in a weird way, it's like by by exposing people to that extreme right it gives people some sort of sense of where the middle really is and when you remove that extreme of what's offensive and what could be then the middle slides so far the other way that then then there is no balance mm. and that's what i think we kind of have in mainstream entertainment today where they that's why i asked that question about with there not really being like a a rock movement or a punk rock movement or that sort of counterculture i think as a comedian i try to do that now but the less and less that there is of that, the more everything moves the other way and town now where things that we think are pretty benign are now considered obscene, you know, dude, I mean, I can't, I can't agree with you more. I, I, I just, I hear, yeah, I hear the truth in that. So it has a responsibility to be offensive. Now, what does that mean to you? Because what people take, people go, oh, offense means that like this thing that you just said is violence. Yeah. And it's like, no. It's not violence. Violence is violence. Yeah. Well, and it's it's like offensive to me is like just something that makes you uncomfortable, right? Yeah, if we, you grew up like a sheltered white kid, then by definition, being around another culture, like a different race or a different religion or whatever could be offensive. It could be so taboo and strange. Right. But the way 
the way that we create that balance is by pushing people so far into their discomfort that then they become a little bit more understanding of the world around them. And I feel that's why I feel like when people go, oh, like, oh, you'll just joke about race or sexuality or whatever. It's like, yeah, that's how we normalize everything. That's how we bring people together is like you, you. And that's how you tear down what makes people uncomfortable. I remember bringing people to like hardcore shows back in the day and they went from like, you know, like, oh, dear, to like in the middle of the pit halfway through the show. And it's like that that to me was the most the ultimate thing of like, you know, helping people understand that this thing that you're uncomfortable with or whatever can really like open your eyes to a more complete, well-rounded life. Yeah. And the 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 um, the discomfort is what you I think what you just said is the, mm. the it's just a not it's a misunderstanding. And to be uh, to 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 um, judge something that is offensive as being because it's offensive therefore it is going to cause others to be violent toward the people that you were making a joke about even if it's yourself right that or whomever you know dave Chappelle makes fun of everybody black yeah. people white people pepper people pepper people you know everything right and it but it doesn't mean that it's causing violence that it's gonna like do we are we really that irresponsible like we have no personal responsibility so if that guy says something I mean, it really goes back. It's just the it's just the propagation of like you know, uh, Black Sabbath or shout at the devil. Like it's gonna right. be, it's gonna make our kids worship Satan and all this stuff. <laughs> How about the band Ghost? Do you know the band Ghost? Yeah, I love this band, and it's so funny to me. Like it's it's because it's fun and funny, and it's like hail Satan, but it's like not really. It's like it's fun, and Satan's way more fun to party with than. Than God, than God. Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, and that's the thing is like, it's almost like people forgot what sarcasm is. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so, you know, it's, it's, and what's so interesting is like when you see, I think probably the person who's dealt with this the most from a creative perspective, personal stuff aside, is uh, Marilyn Manson, right? Because of all the imagery and everything he pushed. And I remember back in the 90s, like they tried to blame him for Columbine and, and then they tried to lump all of like hardcore, you know, and metal music into that place. And and it was I remember that being like, you know, there were like parents in school PTA meetings like we need to we can't let kids listen to this music. And I was just like, dude, this is the modern day equivalent of burning books. And I feel the same way about when people are like, we can't let comedians joke about these things. It's like, no, we're burning books again, guys. Mm -hmm. How about this, bro? Uh, the, I, again, like you said, like I am not. Uh, condoning or backing Marilyn Manson's personal. Right, right. I was saying that aside, just as an artist. Yeah. Notwithstanding that as well. For me, when yeah. I saw Bowling for Columbine, the movie Michael Moore did, right? And the, and he interviewed that dude. He went to Brian Warner and said, hey, what would you say to these kids who went in and killed all those people in Columbine? And his answer was somewhat to some something to the effect of, I wouldn't say a goddamn thing. I would listen to him. Yeah. And, I went, oh. and so that actually, I mean, again, that dude, he he's twisted. He got, you know, Antichrist superstar. And what a shock that he's a creep. But the that message, that philosophy of listening to uh, someone who is so fucking troubled is 
lost. That's why we can't shut people down like that. That's why it's a by no means am I like, yay, Trump. But I'm like, well, yeah, at, least, yeah. at least he got people talking and we got to see who's who. But then it just it, it, it's gone to this crazy place. Yeah, that's one of the things I love is that people go, you know, people are like, uh, oh, you are you a Trump supporter? I go, listen, do I think he's the best guy? He was the best guy for the job. Absolutely not. Right. But do I like what he represented, which was a complete disruption of the way American politics works? I love that idea. Like, I love the idea that that um, at any moment, like it, it did restore my faith in, in the concept of America, because I go at any moment, the American people could get together and just go, nope, we're going to do something different. And and that to me gave hope that like, oh, wow, like it it actually still really works. Like we actually still can get together and do something that is like out of character, right? Like I always say the worst thing you can lose um, as a human being is the belief that people can still surprise you. And it's very, it's so hard in life today. Like I, I talk to people who have trouble with like dating and I talk to friends who have trouble with their career and, and, you know, like uh, people who feel like, man, I, I go to these jobs and I expect the worst and the worst happens. And, and I really don't get that far into like positive manifestation or that type of thing, because I, I feel like I'm a little too grounded in, you know, reality. And maybe that's just pessimistic on my part. But I do tell people like you can never lose hope in the potential of human beings. Like you can never lose hope that somebody the right person someday might surprise you in the best way. And I've seen that enough to have not lost faith in it myself. Mm, that's rad. Uh, back to the burning book thing that you were talking about. I remember when, uh, when, when um, Neil Young was so brave to pull his uh, oh, about with the Rogan Spotify thing. because of Joe. He was so. Guess what he did? Guess what he didn't own any of the songs that anyone gives a shit about. Right. He sold them for one hundred fifty million dollars like years ago. Yeah. Right? And so, and I'm, I mean, I'm just going to go on record. I never really care for Neil Young in the first place. Fuck that guy. I'm with, that. I'm, <laughs> I'm, with I'm with Leonard Skinner. The Southern man don't need him around anyhow. Oh, dude, how good did you watch that like four hour Leonard Skinner documentary? Yeah, it made me sad a lot, but yes, I yeah, did. It, it, yeah, it is sad, but yeah. like I, you know, they were before my time, but like, like my mom grew up in in Michigan, like Northern Michigan, so like very rural. That it's pretty much the Deep South, rural Michigan. But she grew up like a huge Leonard Skinner fan. And I, I was like, oh my God, I, I didn't know what virtuosos their musicians were Ooh. like I went back. And so then I went back and just started listening to all of the Leonard Skinner stuff because I was just like, oh my God, like that young guitar player was like, you know, it's amazing when you look at the talent level at like 18 years old, this kid was maybe one of the greatest guitarists to ever live. Dude, those rednecks could play, man. I don't yeah. I mean, I know some power chords and shit. I can jam. <laughs> yeah. Those boys. I mean, whoo. Well, so that's what's amazing is like I just started playing again, like in the pandemic. I think I told you, like I rebuilt an old guitar that it was the first guitar I was given when I was seven and I, I've had it and traveled with it all these years. And then I Whoa. restored it and rebuilt it. it. Uh, it's a 1972 or 75 Penco Les Paul. So Penco was Ibanez's American brand. Um, and they were and basically they were like, uh, we're going to make a lawsuit guitar. We're going to copy everybody else's guitars and sell them under this label. And if we get sued, we'll just nuke that company and still have Ibanez. So that's what they did. And so this Penco is like a is like a legit 72, like full mahogany, wow. a heavy battleship of a guitar, heavy 
Um, but it's a, it's like, uh, the quality is through the, through, I mean, like if I showed you this thing and it's 50 years old, you'd be like, holy shit. Wow, man. Um, and I, and I put EMGs in it and restored all the hardware and like redid the frets and everything all myself and, uh, put like LSR, uh, locking tuners, like the old eighties, like shredder tuners in it. What's and, the uh, do you have a, do you have a tremolo? I have a, no, I don't have a tremolo, okay. but I have a, I have like a, I think it's a Wilkinson um tailpiece that has the fine tuners okay um so you it's like fine a, tuners if you're gonna lock the nut yeah yeah yeah, yeah. well so uh, well there's no <laughs> locking nut but the locking tuners but i the fine oh, tuners the i tuners. just like i got you i thought you said yeah. nut. right right no no um yeah. but i have like so it's almost like they're like the fine tuners of a floyd but on a stop tailpiece mm-hmm. which i just thought looked badass when i started restoring this thing Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back in 2008, and then I put it away and never finished it. Mm. So I finished it during the pandemic. I started playing again, and then I just bought. Uh, a PRS seven string and started playing that. But okay. when I had me- Misha from Periphery on, I was like, oh, I like Periphery. I'm going to try to learn some of their stuff. And I literally pulled up the tabs and I was like, yeah, this is why I quit playing guitar in the first place. <laughs> Cause I was yeah. like, I, there is a limit to my capability, man. Like that I started looking at this really thing. hard when you said that I would just blink like real hard thinking about periphery riffs. <laughs> oh my God. I was just looking at this. I was just like, yo, you gotta be <laughs> autistic to like write this stuff. There's no fucking way that the norm, my normal dumb guy brain would ever look at an instrument and be like, yeah, this, you know what I mean? Like it's just so. And it's incredible. It's like inc- it's layered and it's again, it's got all this technical capability. But I, it, re- it took me back to that place as a musician where I felt like I hit a wall creatively. And that was when I pivoted into comedy. And I was like, oh, no, this is my instrument. Making people laugh is definitely my instrument. Like yeah, I enjoy man. guitar. But uh, but my, my even I always tell the story when people go, how did you go from music to comedy? I was like, my band broke up. <laughs> and then all my buddies that I played music with that were in other bands were like, dude, you should be a comedian because you're way funnier than you are talented as a guitar <laughs> player. And I was like, touche. <laughs> Fair enough. And then you're like, all right, let me get this started. Yeah. 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 And, the, and then the other thing I loved was like, oh, shit, there's no hauling gear or like, you know, having to run out an hour before the show to the local music shop to buy drum heads because we bashed one, you know, in, sure. in rehearsal and you know oh no like i don't we we didn't bring cables you know just stuff like all of those early band things that are just like nightmare there's no cables. overhead there's no overhead yeah it's just like oh, here's your microphone go out and be tell sillies and i was like mm-hmm. oh nice Mike. yeah here you go yep yeah there's no tunings mm-hmm. like there's a, what tuning is this in oh dude hey i wanted to mention this because I, I haven't been able to watch it yet but there's a norm mcdonald uh documentary yeah yeah i watched it the new special all i the special yeah all i saw was last night i was um I was like winding down or something and I was checking some shit out or whatever. And I saw like the preview for it. And Norm McDonald said something that I, that I hadn't, of course he went the next step further than I, because I realized recently, like how much I see comedians as a necessity. There was one in feudal times. There was one person in the entire kingdom who could insult the King or the queen. That was the court jester and the, and they needed it and they wanted it. 
Yeah. It was necessary to talk about how fat the king's ass was. And the king's like, ha, ha, ha. And everyone else is like, oh, God, can we laugh, right? It's so necessary. And so um, I started recently going, oh, my God, man. Like, you know, these guys, some of these guys are, are, are like philosophers of our time. And I was yeah. just, I kind of just stopped there. And then the preview of Norm Macdonald is like, he's like, yeah, you know, people think of like com- comedians as philosophers. Which makes me feel really bad for actual philosophers. <laughs> yeah, but he's like, there are modern day philosophers, you know. <laughs> he's like, they're just like, oh man, I just, I, I guess I got to get out of the way for this comedian. Yeah, I guess I'm going yeah, to re- reinvent myself again, right? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, seriously, but back to like who I who I used to th- I thought I was like original. I thought back at some point, maybe I maybe I had an original thought or something, but I I thought Mark Twain was the original stand up comic. Um, I, I was a I was a big Mark Twain fan back in high school and shit. And I did a there was like an essay I did on him in the one semester I took of college in in Northern Virginia, and uh, and he was and he was like really, it was he would talk about the zeitgeist, right? He talked about the 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 being on the on the river and all this other stuff. But then his mom, uh, his wife and his daughter, one of his his mom is sorry, his wife and one of his daughters died, and then his other daughter was mentally ill. And this dude had to go and tour and do like speaking engagements where it just involved him going to Europe and going to these places and walking around on stage and talking shit on politicians and about the education. Like he just his favorite topic was talking shit on politicians. Yeah. His favorite thing. And then so that was like the and he just walked around and say so he like set a standard for this type of thing. And it's so vital to our society to be aware oh even Chappelle, who when he was getting the uh mark twain award from the kennedy center kennedy honors for humor the mark twain award for humor he said that his mom told used to tell him as a kid that he should be a griot which was an ancient african tribal sort of not a medicine man but like a like the one who would record the history of the tribe and the happenings and tell the stories the oral tradition and she's like, you should be a griot. And he is. And so are you. You guys, like, that's what it is. We need that, man. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, I think that that's what I think art's purpose is. Aside, you know, when I say it's a responsibility to be offensive, I think its purpose is contemplation, right? It's to compel people to to stop uh, the this of their lives and sort of turn it to this and like you know you you said something really powerful earlier where you like I made it a point and I think you were one of the first people I ever heard about it, the concept of practicing gratitude um, mm. but like but when you talked about stepping to the side of the stage and looking at it all and taking it in and I just think you know musicians and comedians that when people talk about like well we have a responsibility with our platforms to do good in the world the best you can do is to get people to do that to step to the side of the stage and take it all in whether Mm -hmm. you agree with it or disagree with it or feel good about it or feel bad about it i'm i i always say this i'm never trying to tell people what to think i'm always trying to get people to contemplate how they think and to look at the world around them and go like, oh, why do I hate people that think this? Or mm. why do I, why am I so quick to judge people who do this? And it's like, mm. I'm not telling you what's right or wrong. I'm trying to, to get you to look inside yourself and, and think about that, right? Mm. And whatever you come up with is what you come up with. I have no control over that. Again, people have personal responsibility for who they are in the world. But, um, but I think that's the best we can hope to do as as artists or comedians or filmmakers or writers is to get people to kind of stop within themselves i'll use your analogy step to the side of the stage Mm -hmm. and just take it all in Mm -hmm. 
Like I'm still on the stage. I'm still one of the like Shakespeare said. I'm still a player. Yeah, literally, literally and and metaphorically. But I'm just going. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I'm just going. Huh. Wow. Oh, and then look at who's looking. And like, oh, wow. And like you said too, the the. Uh, how do I think? Like, how do I how do I think about stuff? And yeah. like, I mean, for me, it's 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 very helpful. I did do I do therapy. I've been sober twenty years. And I don't have it all figured out. That's probably the thing, too, is like the danger of the absolution, the absolute. This is how it is. Man, that's a, such a powerful way to phrase it, too. The danger of absolution. Be a great name for a record, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Let's write that's that awesome. shit. I'll get a sign. I know. Man. The dan- yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll I'll be get, yeah. Let me let me bust my chops up. a little. Well, it's funny, though, because like I never really got I never really played sevens like I ha- I have small hands. So like I've never played uh, a seven string. Never to this day. I've never played a seven string guitar. Really? Yeah. So so uh, it's funny. Like I had Misha on the podcast and then I bought one of his bandmates signature guitars, Mark. And he's like, dude, what the fuck? Misha was like, dude. <laughs> but anyway, I was. Yeah, because he has a he has a deal with Jackson, but but uh, Marks is like the the most narrow at the nut of every seven string made. So I was like, all right, well that'll be a good transitional to like play around with that. And um, <laughs> for those who don't but, know, what for those who don't know, the nut is the part of the guitar where the strings come up to the top, and there's a little thing right there, and then there's the headstock. So yeah. if you if you if you feel offended by being referred to as narrow in the nut. It's okay. We're talking about guitars. It's actually a good thing for guys like yeah. me, right? It's actually good to be narrow yeah. in the nut. Yeah. Um, Don't be fat yeah. in the nut. Yeah, I have yeah, fat in the nut is the worst thing I could possibly Dude, be facing. I got a 59 reissues, uh Les Paul sitting right there. It's so fat in the nut. I'm sorry, oh, I'm yeah. sorry. I love that about you. Yeah, so but uh but yeah, so I, I started playing the seven and then I actually was like, oh wow, this actually feels more natural. Um to like like this seven just the reach of it and everything i was like yeah, this actually feels like a more natural fit for me as a player and then oh. i picked the and then i picked the les paul back up and i was like oh this is like a banjo now like going from a seven back down to a six i'm like flying on that thing so i was yeah, like honestly i was like every guitar player should have a seven string just to work out and then then when you go back to your six you feel like you're playing a toy <laughs> go there so, for exercise it's yeah like exactly with like, like leg weights or sorry uh, yeah ankle weight it, it really is like you uh-huh. know and then i was like maybe an eight string and i was like no nah, let's not be ridiculous you want to talk there about fat in the nut yeah <laughs> who uh, who plays with an eight string there's a band i saw oh, oh animals dude. animals as leaders i was gonna say my dude yeah uh, my dude javier ray is that's a what a great javier? guy man. i do yeah he's a homie Dude, I met Javier Uber driving like seven years ago. And well, and this is so fun. I got to have Javier on the show because yeah. uh, I'm Uber driving and he was talking about playing. Um, and he, I think he had a day with him and he was talking about playing. Uh, he's like, yeah, we got shows coming up. And he goes, uh, I was talking with Tosin and I knew I was like, there's only one Tosin in all of music. Um and uh, I was like, I was like, wait, are you Javier from Animals as Leaders? And he was like, yeah. But he was also like, I never get recognized. And he was like, yeah. I was like, oh, dude, you guys awesome. And, and I also told him, I was like, I always said, I was like, I'm a comedian now. But I always said, if I ever had like a late night show, I would want Animals as my house band because <laughs> it would just be so fucking weird and awesome. And he was like, dude, that would be great. We would love, we would definitely do something like that. But also, like at the end of the thing, he was like, "Hey, man, thanks." And I think, I think I made it look like a badass 
to his date by recognizing him and being like, dude, you guys are the fucking best band. Like he was like, fucking thanks, bro. Give yeah. Me yeah. Solid. Of course. I was just like, Woo! that's gotta be like, I could, I, you know, I haven't been single for a long time, but I could imagine like being on a date and somebody recognizing me. I'm like, that's pretty <laughs> shit. You know, yeah, I- the, the, the woman almost, I feel like, did you plan this? Yeah. How did, did you order this? Is this a real Uber? Is this your friend? Yeah. Is this your buddy from next door or something? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was just, yeah, it was just so. And I also met Mikey. Uh, I had never met Mikey Doling um, f- f- back in the day in bands. And like, we all live in the same neighborhood. Well, did at the time. I don't know where everybody lives now, but we're all like North Hollywood, Studio City, Burbank, that area. And I remember I picked Mikey up one night too. And I was like, you, I was like, you're Mikey Doley. He's like, yeah. He's like, how do you know me? You know? And it's like, I was like, oh, it's a long story. Like you just like, go back. It's like, I don't, I've never met you, but I know 10 of your friends. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's like, this could be an interesting story. How do you, how do you know of me? Yeah. yeah. Um, Javier. Yeah. Uh, Animals is I think he plays at times an eight string. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. When he plays, no, he, like, play, he pl- exclusively plays eight string. Okay. Okay. I'm like, yeah. how many fucking strings do you have? And what are you doing, bro? Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> wild. But honestly, like when you when you see these guys hold those instruments, it's like it's not even a guitar. It's something else. It's like becomes yeah. its own thing. Uh-huh. And there's so much stuff with like thumb picking and hand slapping and like flamencos type stuff. And well, there's know, that thing that happened where the dudes started uh, the the. You know, the natural progression is like uh, pushing the boundaries, right? Go, f- mm-hmm. f- you know, comedy, music, whatever. Push the boundary. Art, right? There it is. Offend. Be, a, be, you know, be pushy. And these guys that do these insane riffs that have like super low and then really high. Like, you ever heard the band uh, Sleep Token? No. I really like them. It's 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 very, uh, well, what is it? This It's really, it's about the singer, but there and, and I love his voice and it's super sad and all this beautiful stuff. But it's um, but they they do they these guys have actually kept it more real than even like Slipknot did. Like Slipknot finally was like, we can't fuck around with these masks. We you know we got to just be out. No, these guys are still secretive. Sli- sli- sleep token. They've been around for like five or six years, and these people still have no idea who they are. But this uh, the guitar player plays like seven or something, just like it's just where the it's a low like. The string is so low, it's a fucking H. The note is eight. Like, how low can you go? To? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like full octaves but, down. Yeah, but they hit the low note and then incorporate some high notes right after it. And it's not a whammy pedal. It's They're actually hitting high notes on a guitar that has really low uh, low notes, right? And it's I go, it's like my mind goes, whoa, shit. It's almost like um my, one of my boys who I sponsor in AA is a dubstep producer. And okay. Like, dubstep is 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 electronic metal it's just really it's yeah to- tosin said that in an interview one time he goes a lot of people don't realize that dubs like borrow a lot of the same elements from metal uh made metal so yeah. unique in terms of sound and the absolutely of it. the sawtooth waves and shit that's distortion man that's the harmonic yeah distortion. we've been using that shit for decades but uh, <laughs> uh but some of that stuff that makes your mind like go whoa because it goes from such a far frequency response in your ear and in your ear your hearing and what you're actually what the the context of the emotion of the of the song is so it's like whoa it's shocking to me i mean it's really cool yeah have you um have you seen any stuff uh well hold on we'll we'll jump out of the regular show here we'll get into the bonus and we'll talk some music stuff and do some fun q a for a short time but i want to plug uh one more time before we Get out of here. I want to plug Rock to Recovery 5, everybody, July 9th. 
uh, get your tickets. Also, awesome venue, the Fonda Theater. I'd say that's probably one of the best two venues to see a show at in LA. And it's and it's so much fun. And it's and it's you know for a good for a good cause, right? And uh, I love that West posted a thing like a week ago. It was like people were like, oh, sober concerts are boring. And then he showed like this awesome highlight reel from the last few Rock to Recoveries. And yeah. it's like, dude, it's it's a blast. I I plan on going there. I'll be there. Still trying to see if we could fly my mom out for it so she can come. Because oh, I was telling you, I was like, she is not what you would expect from like a a person who works in recovery and treatment. She has sleeve tattoos, and you know, she, her favorite band is Five Finger Death Punch, and you know, she is. Uh, I, I I had the unfortunate uh, reality of converting my mother into a bigger metalhead than me when I played <laughs> music. So, you know, she grew up loving bands like. You know, like I said, like Leonard Skinner and and uh, Fleetwood Mac. And then, you know, she she was a, such a supportive mom when I was growing up uh, that she was like, oh, I'll get into the music you're playing. And then she stayed way into it, even more so than me. And so she'll be like she'll be sending me stuff like, have you heard this song from this band? I'm like, I don't even that. I was like, my shit hard for what are you doing? <laughs> That's so good, dude. Yeah. So the show is uh, is July 9th. Uh, axs.com and um actually i don't know if it's on there but if there, but there's an early bird ticket price for the next few days that is r all, all caps r t as in rock to rtr 20 off so rtr 20 off all caps oh, yeah, on, on the on the letters and there's a actually if you got to scroll down if you're on AXS you got to scroll down and find a little early bird thing to to click it. There's like some packages we have some like meet and greet stuff and whatever that you can also do. But there scroll down go. to the early bottom. Bird. There we R-T-R-20 go. Off. Yeah, and that's two zero O F F. Sometimes the the yeah. O and the, the uh, zero and the kind, O. Yeah, you can kind of see they're a little they're shaped a little different. The O is yeah. shaped like you, or the zero is shaped like you, and the O is shaped like me. Exactly. <laughs> 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 that's great that's how people could tell yep just think of me and josh i'll yeah. i'll be first and then josh was right next to me yeah i'm the but, i'm the wider one i'm the yep. i'm the oh i'm probably more of a double o if i'm being honest uh, post pandemic <laughs> i'm looking more like a couple of o's uh but yeah rock to recovery uh in la one night only july 9th it's gonna be an awesome show and and a grand a great thing and um and you know keeping you guys going and and expanding which is the cool part yeah. is, is you know going from just uh in people in sobriety to like you said mental health you mm-hmm. know youth uh veterans i mean it's it's really amazing and it's also like there to find uh, uh a non-profit organization that really has such a such a specific focus but then also such a wide reach mm. yeah man Thanks, dude. So July 9th. All right, cool. We'll get out of here. We'll get into the bonus show real quick. We'll do some fun. We'll do some fun uh, memory lane stuff and some fun Q&A for the for the bonus fans. If you are um, watching live, which I think in the middle of the day on a Friday, we don't have a ton of live viewers. But <laughs> if uh, if if you're watching live, and you want to finish watching the full show, you can catch it only at uh, rockfan.com. Full episodes are on rockfin.com. Otherwise, you can get the bonus show, the talking shit that we're about to do with Sonny Mayo, uh, only on Locals. So you can go to joshdenny.locals.com and you can get all that stuff. Again, uh, go to rocktorecovery.org to find out anything about Rock to Recovery. Uh, use promo code EARLYBIRDRTR20 off to get 
your uh, discount tickets. And I think that only goes until maybe Monday, right? So, I think so yeah. And don't, uh, we'll don't, make, type in, don't type in early bird, just RTR. Yeah, yeah, off, just right? RTR yeah, off. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, uh-huh. I should have. I should have done. It's that. Okay. But yeah, it's just okay. RTR twenty off. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, listen, man. I'm produ- I'm producing and hosting, doing all this stuff at the Bro, same time. I'm juggling it, a lot dude. of balls. Real uh, time. Right, cool. He's doing shit in real time, y'all. I know. Like I'm, I'm like that uh, that famous clip. Where, who was it? Uh, where he's like, "Well, we'll do it live." <laughs> oh yeah, we'll, we'll just do it live. Yeah, like a, a newscaster. Yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, we'll just we'll get out. Yeah, that's yeah. I God, I I feel like I should know. Was it? Um, was it Matt Lauer? It was somebody else. Oh, it, it's a famous uh, some uh, right wing. It was a right wing guy, like a Fox guy or something. Oh, it was fucking O'Reilly. Bill O'Reilly. Yeah, yeah. He's like, fuck it, we'll do it live. Yeah. <laughs> what so. a dick. Oh, oh man, it was wild stuff. All right, cool. We'll get out of here. We'll get in the boat. Hey, Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.